lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Hi, I'm Lloyd Russell, and this is our fifth podcast of Lit with Lloyd. Thanks, as always, to KCAT for hosting us and providing us with the opportunity to talk to Bay Area authors. Our guest today is Keith Raffle. Keith is the author of five books, including A Fine and Dangerous Season, where he uses a somewhat little-known fact about JFK that sets the stage for a Cold War-era novel that will keep you very much engrossed. And the other four are darn good, too. (laughs) Uh, Welcome, Keith. Thanks for making yourself available today. Let's start by having you tell us your Bay Area roots and where you're currently residing. Could I first say happy birthday, Lloyd? (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll strike that, please. So I'm, I'm a Palo Alton. We moved to Palo Alto when I was eight years old. In my family, though, I'm considered a greenhorn, a newcomer, because all my, my, my four kids and my wife are native Californians. I went to Palo Alto High. It makes me a little nervous to be down here in Los Gatos, where Los Gatos High is, football rival of my alma mater. <laughs> but the, everyone here seems nice anyway. So I, 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 did go to, I did go to Palo Alto High. I went away for 10 years to college and to, and to work, and then I came back to Palo Alto, and I've been a Palo Alto ever since. Okay, well, um, the first of your five books was published in 2005. When I was just a, 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 you know, wee, a wee slip of a lad. At least. Uh, and um, what have you done professionally even prior to starting to become uh, an author? Well, I did what most history majors do. <laughs> I spent most of my career as a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. In fact, coming coming down here to Los Gatos to record this, it, it brought back a little nostalgia. Um, I worked at a startup that was on Lark Avenue in Los Gatos for a while, and then, of course, because I was because I grew up here, my dad was a Silicon Valley pioneer. That's why we came to Palo Alto in the first place. I started my own company. In fact, it was the first company that um, had an internet app here in Silicon Valley. I worked at that. I worked at that for a while. Um, you know, the company was the company was bought, and then it was time to do something else. I thought about doing another startup, and then I remembered a Japanese saying I'd heard that said that every person should walk to the top top of Mount Fuji, but only a fool does it a second time. <laughs> so I tried. So I tried writing, which I loved. Uh, side note: I also majored in history, <laughs> and I went into corporate food service. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the uh, the benefit of having a history degree. It makes you look at something else. Well, no, I don't think that that's it. No, I'm going to stick up for history majors now. I think what history does is it, it teaches you to think, to ask questions, to put yourself in other people's position, uh, position, and and to be able to write coherently. And I'm sure, and I know you do all those things well. Yeah, well, that's a, no, that's a great angle on it. Uh, I actually had one class in which all we looked at was original documents. We of had course. no history books. I actually went to graduate school in history for a couple of years really? as well. Yes, okay. which was best of all because then, of course, you have to write a thesis based on original documents. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, all right. So, moving on to to writing, what made you decide to start writing novels? Well, you know, I was. Um, while I was working uh, for the company that was on Lark, a- Lark Avenue, we used to get the Cal- UC um, Extension catalog, which I would leaf through and send, and they would, 
how to write in Java, how to do business planning. And I would send various people who worked for me to UC Extension. Then I saw how to write mystery novels. And I said, oh, that looks great. And I took the class and I, I sort of got excited about it. Unfortunately, right then is when I left the company to start my own. So I put the idea on hold for probably 10 years. And then wow. when I was done, I, I took more UC Extension classes, which um, really got me rolling. Were there um, authors in the area that you knew that sort of uh, mentored you a bit? Sure. Um, the, the, class, the first class I took at UC Extension was Ellen Sussman who um, at that time lived in Los Altos, and she's, and she's moved to Healdsburg now, I think. Yeah, but she's, anyway, yeah Napa County, yeah. That's right. She's, a, ter she's a, a terrific writer and a terrific teacher as well. Um, okay, so your first novel was published in 2006. Tell us about the publication process. Um, well, the, the publication process was, um, first of all, in those days, where you really didn't have a choice about publishing it your, yourself. Uh. So you need to find an agent. And what does an agent do? An agent finds someone who will buy your book. A publisher will buy your book. I did find an agent, and she just split off from, she was um, a reformed money manager, and she wanted to get into literature. She, start, she worked for a wild literary agency, and then she started her own. I think I was her first client. And um, she, she loved what I did. Of course, she starts sending it around. People say, oh, we really love this, but it doesn't quite fit our needs. And I, and, and I was getting down a little bit, and then there was one manager day where four publishers said, yes, wow. this is for us. So it happened all at once. When it rains, it pours. Yeah. Uh, and did the did that publisher stick with you with uh, succeeding books? They um, they did the next they did the next book. But then I was was but then I I'm a Silicon Valley guy. I was ready and ready to try something else. By the time I'd written my third book, you know you could you could do it yourself. You could do an ebook on the internet, and that's what I did, and it was terrific. I mean, people read the book. It, Got excitement. I think I made more money on that book than I'd done in the on previous books. Um, it was terrific. Wow. Okay. Tell us how you came to write a fine and dangerous season, uh, because when you came to our book club all those years ago, it's about seven years ago, I think. Actually, next month, uh, you had. But who's counting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you not only came to talk about the book and answer our questions, but you also brought a number of of um, mementos from that time period. So tell us about the book, how you came up with that idea, and tell everybody the little known fact about JFK. So, J so JFK graduated from Harvard in June 1940, and he didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. At that time, he had an older brother, Joe Jr., who died during World War II, but 1940 we hadn't entered the war yet and his brother in turn had a roommate who'd gone to Stanford and that um in that in that roommate said Jack you ought to go to Stanford because it has two wonderful things that Harvard doesn't have great weather and girls <laughs> and if if you've read anything about JFK um those would be two things that would definitely entice him so he came out and started taking, as a special student, started taking classes in the business school. You know, he'd sneak down to Hollywood every once in a while and get picked up on the, you know, on, essentially on on the same train that goes between um, Palo Alto and Los Angeles now. But um, what, hap what ended up happening is that he went back 
um, to Florida um, to the to the family beach house in Florida. His dad more or less said, "Enough of this malarkey. <laughs> it's time to get it's time to get to work." But in I looked through old Stanford dailies. I went to the um, JFK Library in Boston and found letters. I found stories about JFK's stay here um, while I was in, in Stanford. He was at, here in Palo Alto when draft numbers were drawn back in the fall of 1940. And he was on the front page of the then Palo Alto Times picking his um, draft number because his father was very prominent. He was um, one of the richest men uh, in the United States, the Warren Buffett or whatever of his time, in addition to, in addition to being the ambassador from um, the United States to the United Kingdom. Wow. Uh, so tell us about the storyline for this and how you even came up with it. Oh, you know, so <laughs> so <laughs> I I have um, a college classmate who um, we'll call him Rick because that's his name. <laughs> and, and I said, Rick, you know, I have this great story. There's this little known fact that JFK was at Stanford for um, the fall quarter in 1940. And I wanted, you know, what I want to do is I got an idea for sort of a Watson to JFK's homes. You know, the guy who's going to tell his story, be the companion. And I really want to do that. And the way I want to do it is I, I want this companion to be a mirror image of JFK. So JFK's rich. This guy won't be rich. JFK is Catholic. This guy will be Jewish. <laughs> this guy, this dad, um, this the um, JFK's dad, um, Joe, uh, Joe Kennedy, really... Um, a capitalist, this guy will be a socialist in, in work for labor unions, etc. But they'll hit it off anyway. And, and then I said, but you know, Rick, I got all that. I got the setting. I got all this. But, um, but I, don't, you know, I don't have a plot. Darn it. It turns out, um, so, you know, plots are a necessary evil. You know, when you read a great book, you tend to remember the characters in the setting and not as much the plot. On the other hand, without a plot, people don't turn the page. So Rick said, well, of course, in 1962, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, without this guy's help, you know, the world's going to go is going to go up in smoke. And he said that, boom, I said what I said in 10 sec, three seconds later, that was his answer. So I had a plot. Wow. Uh, and, and what artifacts did you come up with from that time period? Because I remember a menu that you had oh, from like a great. diner in Palo Alto. Well, do you know, so I don't know how many people know this about Palo Alto, but when Leland Stanford set up Stanford University, he didn't want any of the students drinking, drinking alcohol. So um, there was a state law that said there, were, there, there could be no sale of alcohol within a mile and a half of the campus. And that state law stuck till the 60s or 70s. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly when. But in 1940, when JFK was in Palo Alto, definitely. So in a mile and a half down down El Camino was a place called Lomlets, which was which, which I'd eaten at with my <laughs> parents, you know, when I was trying to be a big shot, and um, and you know, and I did. I had a menu there, and you'd you'd see things like um, lamb chops eighty five cents, uh, beer twenty five cents, twenty five cents, etc. So I tried to do everything with the greatest verisimilitude. But the best part was when. Um, I went to um, the JFK Library in Boston and looked through through that. There were two, well, maybe this is the. It's one of the two great parts. So I brought my oldest daughter with me, more or less, to be my research assistant. 
And I'd say, I need this, I need this. And she'd be running around <laughs> talking to the archivist and getting it. But what she was really interested in was seeing JFK's report cards from his time <laughs> at Harvard, where she was going at the time. <laughs> and she'd get out as, I took that same class as he did. I did better than him. <laughs> then in addition, in, in addition to that, in, in, by the way, JFK, who was, no, who was a very smart guy, very smart. Um, at the same time, he got a D plus or something in European history. I will note that no one in the class got an A or an A minus, not one. There were 50 people in the class, there were no A's. Grading was a little tougher back then. But um, th the other thing that was in there was, um, of course, you know, when you look in archives from the olden days, you never have the letters that the principal wrote, you only had the letters that came to, came to them. So there was a letter from a girlfriend at Stanford, and um, it was hysterical. Um, it says, you know, dear, so Jack was back in Florida, but still at that time intending to come back. He'd left his brand new bottle green Buick convertible with this um, sorority woman from Stanford. And she was doing charity work, and she wrote to him, first of all, oh, I hope you don't mind. I took some of the, some of the young kids, you know, out for a drive in your car you know they might have spilled their milkshakes all over it <laughs> of course you realize she didn't she was just pulling his chain in addition on her birthday she wrote him a letter we were talking about birthdays earlier she wrote him a letter that um that said oh jack thank you so much for the for the for the diamond bracelet or the diamond necklace or something you know it's so thoughtful of you to have remembered my birthday but the girls in the sorority just wouldn't understand and then you realize he forgot her birthday and she's pulling her, his chain again. Great stuff. That is fantastic. Uh, all right. Well, listeners, make sure you read this book because it's really interesting. It's a great plot uh, between uh, uh, JFK visiting in, in 1940 or, and, it was 40. Uh, and, and uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, 62. It's really, really good stuff. Uh, okay, so let's move on now to your fifth and currently last book, correct? The Temple Mount. Right. You you went about that a little bit differently than your other books, I think. So tell us how you how you got that one made and published. I'm, I'm just hoping that. This, do you think that is this going to be rebroadcast on the East Coast? <laughs> I don't believe so. Okay, good, <laughs> because the same Rick is responsible for that one too. <laughs> Rick, you know, Rick said to me, you know, this was, you know, this was when um, the Da Vinci Code was a big thing. And Rick and I were talking, he said, you know, you ought to do some sort of archaeological thing. And I put, and I thought about that and I put it aside. And then a few years later, I said, you know, maybe I ought to. So my son and I, my son who was then 10, and I went to Israel. Because it seemed to me, if you're going to do anything archaeological, that would be, A, that would be a great place to, to be. B, you know, the great spy novels of the Cold War tend to be set in Berlin because that's where the actual communism and capitalism rubbed against each other. Well, you know, I figured if there's going to be some place where um, two contending sides rub against each other, which have implications for world peace, at least when I was thinking about it, it would be it would be Jerusalem. So he and I, he and I um, went, to, went to Jerusalem, and I, we went there. You know, we saw the sites. It was fascinating. It was great. It was my first time there. I loved it. But I didn't know what I was going to write about. And then we went um, on a tour 
um, underneath the the Western Wall. And so, you know, one of the things that was so funny is that um, women weren't allowed in certain parts of the Western Wall. And, and the reason the Western Wall is so holy is it's very close to the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant, you know, sort of where what Moses found was stored. And, and But, you know, if you go underground, there was a nook in this tunnel underneath where women were praying. And, of course, you know, in fact, they would be closer to the Holy of Holies than any of the men up above. <laughs> so I like that, that the women were getting their own. So we were walking along, and there, and, and there are these humongous lime, limestone um, blocks, you know, that weighed, must have weighed tons and tons. And then all of a sudden, we come to one that looks like it, it has a tremendous hole in it, probably six feet in diameter. And it's anomalous. I mean, what's it doing there among all these blocks? And um, someone explained there was a theory that the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, etc., are still there. And someone du- and someone made this hole looking for it. Whoa! And soon and again, as soon as that was said, I was off and running. Wow! I mean, what if it, what if the Ark of the Covenant, the tablets that Moses got on on um, on Mount Sinai, were still there under underneath the Temple Mount? Wow! Uh, tell us how you got this book published. Um, Temple Mount. Well, you know. You asked me about my first two books, which were done by a publisher. My third book I did myself, um, A Fine and Dangerous Season, Amazon actually has a publishing arm. Yes. And so Amazon's publishing arm, so it's publishing house did it. So so just to make sure that I've published every possible way, <laughs> the, the, the fifth one I did a Kickstarter and said, and said hey, I want to publish this thing, you in? And one of the things I learned, I haven't talked much, one of the things I've learned is you know this is I, I did a little bit in politics earlier in my life and people can say they're for you in politics but once people give you a dollar if you're running they're not for you anymore they're in you know that you know the story about the uh, about the diff, uh, about the difference between um, a pig and a chicken in in breakfast in the morning no. <laughs> uh, when you have a bacon and egg breakfast the chicken participates the pig is committed so I wanted I wanted commitment, so I did a kick I did a Kickstarter and people were giving a dollar five dollars ten dollars etc. And when the book came out, it was tremendous because all those people who'd given a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars in advance for publicity for marketing and for everything else were committed. They to, they told their friends, um, and the book did and the book did very well. Well, a friend of mine, Rich, and I both participated in that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and no, I, you, it's. <laughs> It's not good oh, no. to call in debts while we're on the radio here, <laughs> Lloyd. I waited to, toward the end, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and it was great because we got to go to a uh, a pre-publication party for all of us. Oh, that and was that, that was fun. That was really cool. Uh, okay, 2014 was Temple Mount. Yes. For those, what the heck have I been doing? I was going to ask it more nicely, but yes. That is the question. No, no, no. So, so I told you I was an entrepreneur. I'm used to venture capitalists asking me questions. <laughs> There's no niceness there, I promise. So, in, um, so, you know, I just figure you, you just have to keep doing different stuff. Um, I, I've said before, I have career ADHD. So in 2015, I had a chance to go back to Harvard as a, um, is what they called an advanced fellow. 
which essentially meant I could take any classes that I wanted, <laughs> which was what was fantastic. I came back and did some writing. And then in 2017, they said, well, why don't you come back and be a resident scholar at Harvard? And I said, well, what does a resident scholar have to do? And they said, well, something, but we don't really care what. You just have to do something. So I've been, at, I've been back at Harvard now for four years. While there, I mean, I've done some teaching, but in addition, I have two more manuscripts, I think done. Ah. And I'm ready, to, and I'm ready. In fact, right now, I'm getting ready to, sh to shop them. Do you, you actually have two books written? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and are you going to go through the agent and uh, a publisher process again? Maybe. Maybe. I'm looking for an agent now, and, and if I can find the right agent, yeah, I will. Wow. And if I can't, um, I'll probably publish them myself. We'll see what happens. Are they both in, in relatively finalized form? <laughs> well, you know, so I think so. Okay. And actually, I hire an editor. I hired an editor for both of those two books who um, she takes no umbrage at this. She's, I, I don't know, it, it reminds me of arguments with my wife in that, you know, you argue with her and then the next morning you realize she's always right. <laughs> this editor is the same. I mean, I argue with her and, and then when I wake up in the morning, I go, darn it, she's right. And I've told her, I've told her she's annoyingly intelligent. And she, and she sort of, you know, puffed up and beamed she liked that she yeah. says oh i can't wait to tell my partner i'm annoyingly intelligent <laughs> i said i'll bet he knows <laughs> uh, and so she thinks she thinks they're ready okay uh has she ever said to you tomorrow morning you're just going to tell me i'm right so why don't we just do it now <laughs> no no i told you she was annoyingly intelligent <laughs> she wouldn't do i mean because if someone did that you would you would argue with her and she no instead she said instead she says things like I would do it this way, but of course, even if you don't, I'm behind you all the way. <laughs> well, I didn't know about these two things, and, and I'm really excited that, about the prospect of having two more of your books to read. Oh, well, uh, thank you. What about plot lines, whatever you feel comfortable telling us, if anything? Well, you know, so, the, so uh, my first two books were more, cla were more classic mysteries. And um, and then I did a political thriller, and then the fourth book, which you which you read, was sort of a historical thriller. Absolutely, historical it, fiction for sure. Okay, in the in the fifth one was sort of um, an Indiana Jones type of thriller. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is is just as I can't keep a job for more than a few years, <laughs> I'm not really good at doing the same thing over and over again. And um, so the sixth book, you know, I thought it was just a thriller. But um, I've been told by people whom I'm listening to that it's science fiction, even though it's not. I mean, I don't think people are used to Silicon Valley. If we have a breakthrough here, everybody goes, oh, yeah, great. You have a breakthrough. And outside of Silicon Valley goes, oh, my gosh, that's science fiction. <laughs> so, um, it's, you know, so, so that's what that one is. And the book that I've, um, I've just completed is not a thriller at all. It's just plain old historical fiction wow. set, set in the 1960s. Which is, and the reason I went back to the 1960s is that everything that goes on today, you, you, the disputes in Congress, disputes in Washington, disgruntled people, people who seem to be doing much better than other people, resentment, etc. You can trace it all. I mean, of course, you can trace it before, but the 1960s seems seminal to me. And doing research in the 1960s is just pure fun. Yeah. Well, it seems like so many historical fiction novels are centered on World War II in some form. 
I, I, I love historical fiction and I really enjoy reading historical fictions that are in different time periods. So even though 1940 is technically already the start of World War II, you know, it's really it's really about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes. Um, and the fact that I, I keep coming back to the same thing, the fact that JFK went to Stanford for a quarter. Uh, but he's not he's not formally an alum because he was a special student. Yeah, never yeah. enrolled. Yeah. But he was here. He was definitely. No, I, I mean. I went and saw the house that he lived in. No kidding. And in fact, for those of you who know Palo Alto, in the pr- the president apartments, which I think they're turning into condos right now, he lived there while I was looking for a spot. And his his senior thesis. I mean, it helps to have a dad who's as rich as his dad was. <laughs> you know, hired hired um, hired Arthur Crock, who was a who was a very famous journalist at the time, to write the foreword and stuff. So his senior thesis in college was a best selling book. And he took the profit, profits to buy that bottle green Buick convertible. <laughs> God, that's great. Uh, have any of your novels gotten any interest from TV or movie studios? Well, you know, so so I'm first of all, I'm going to put a caveat in front. It it it, it it's so bo- it's so bothersome that you know you're not really validated as a novelist unless unless the answer to that is yes. Books should be able to stand on their own. So I've, having said that, the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, one of the um, uh, my second book, Smasher, was optioned for a while. Um, there was a lot of interest. Nothing came of it. Well, I, that's not to say nothing came of it. But anyway, when I went down to Hollywood, and I said, um, in the, I, they said, you know, even when we buy it and we start doing everything, so we the the, the term down there is green light. So even after we've, I don't know what the past tense of green light is even <laughs> after we've green lighted or green lit i don't know which it there's still only a one in ten chance that it gets made so i was one of the nine not one of the one <laughs> with with all the authors that we've had in our book club over the last seven years many of them i would say even more than half have had some interest and only a couple that i know of have actually had something made by a movie or TV studio. It seems like it's such a long shot. Barry Eisler, I'm sure you know Barry. I sure do. Uh, he actually had, you know, in his John Rain series, right. he actually had Keanu Reeves ready to act to portray John Rain. And he was down there meeting with but him. But they, they did make a movie in Japan of his John Rain books. Oh, I didn't know that. They did. Okay. All right, because I know it wasn't Just one here. of them. No, uh, it wasn't here. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Tell us about your teaching. You said you did a little teaching in, uh, in, in at Harvard or in Boston. What kind of teaching are you doing? Do you know, so so my so I, I mentioned that my dad was a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. He was an engineer. He came out here because this is the land of opportunity. And his oldest son was a no good Nick who majored in history. <laughs> and how is he ever going to you know be able to afford a family, kids, send them to college or something? So, th- so his ne'er do well oldest son, I mean, funnily enough, became a lecturer in the School of Engineering at Harvard. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's not around anymore, so he could see that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what he would think. Oh wow! Well. So, what what I've been teaching on with two with two very distinguished professors is more or less technology policy, and the idea is that of those two professors, one is a social scientist, one is a sci- a pure scientist. And my role is to bring to bear a little of the real world on technology policy. Wow. Uh, are you still teaching? 
I've taught the I've taught it the last three the last three spring semesters. Um, we'll see about the next spring semester. I mean, I, I don't think they're in. In, Harvard's not in any hurry to decide. Okay. But th- they will, and it'll be taught again. Do you feel like you're going to be out there for a while yet? Um, you know, I think I'll be going back. and f- I think I think now that um, COVID's over, I'll, I'll be the way I was before COVID started. I'm, I'm vaccinated now, of course, and I'll be flying back and forth more regularly than I have been. It's so great to be back here because this is my home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When, not if... Your two novels get get the hit. Please make sure you let us know so that we can broadcast to everybody we know. Uh, I just can't wait for for you to have more books to come out. Oh, Lloyd, that's nice. I really mean that. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of trivia that I do at the end of each podcast. Not that anybody has ever said they're interested in it, but oh, can we'll I, do it anyway. Can, so, can I brag? Yes. Okay, I'm bragging now. This Please. is um this is what um this is what in the writing world you call BSP, blatant self-promotion. <laughs> so two two of my kids were visiting while I was back there and and, and with my two kids and my wife and I, we went to trivia night at the Thirsty Scholar in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The Thirsty Scholar, by the way, if you saw the social network about Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. that's where the opening is filmed. Okay. And they had a trivia night. We won, <laughs> and <laughs> the thing great. is, we could never have won without the kids because you know, yeah. recent music. Absolutely, yeah, we were would have been in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so if your trivia is old enough, maybe I have a shot. But yeah. if it's anything from the last twenty years, I'm in trouble. I totally get that. I belong to something called TriviaToday.com. I get two questions a day. Anything that's beyond 1980, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm out of luck. <laughs> okay, so let's see if you knew any of these things. Oh, I got gosh. three quick quick comments, uh, quick uh, pieces of trivia. Melissa, are you going to help? Trivia? Yeah. No. Okay. The best-selling novel of all time, having sold over 500 million copies, is, and I don't have choices for you, so do you want to take a guess? So are you, so are you going to tell me what year it was published? Or any, no, it's old. Gone with the Wind? Don Quixote. Oh, okay. Over 500 million uh, copies sold. Uh <laughs> I love this one. John Steinbeck's original manuscript of of Mice and Men was eaten by a dog. <laughs> I wonder if it, I wonder if his English teacher believed him. <laughs> and this is was my last one for for this uh, for this show. Edgar Edgar Allan Poe originally wanted a parrot to repeat the word "nevermore." <laughs> All right, that's all I got. Oh, I have a question. So, of course, in the poem, it was a raven. Yeah. But what's the difference between a raven and a crow? I don't know, but it's a parrot, so I, <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic having you here. I'm glad to see you anyway, but I just really appreciate you doing this. Thanks to KCAT, as always, for all of their support uh, and their expertise uh, and uh, we're signing off now. Are they going to have birthday cake for us? Um, I think Joni got me something for later. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Lloyd. Thank it was you. great being here with you. I uh, really appreciate it. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org radio.